Welcome to the Horsewise Podcast with Lynn Reardon, where we share stories of horses and people and what they teach each other. On today's episode, I'll be talking with Wendy Murdoch. Wendy is an internationally recognized teacher, clinician, and author, as well as the inventor of the Surefoot Equine Stability Method. I hope you enjoy the show and have a wonderful day. Hi everyone, this is Lynn Reardon, the host of the podcast and head coach at Horsewise. I'm particularly honored to have Wendy Murdoch on the podcast today. Wendy is an international teacher and clinician. She also is a trained scientist who has developed innovative methods for helping horses with proprioception, calmness, and other mental to foot related type phenomenon. She has studied the equine nervous system as well as the human nervous system in great detail. Her work has impacted riders and horses from literally every part of the world and across multiple disciplines. Best of all, Wendy combines not only that sort of very, you know, methodical mind of a scientist with the excitement and passion of the little girl she was who had a horse on her very first birthday cake as a one-year-old. I hope you enjoy the podcast as much as I enjoy talking with Wendy. Hi, Wendy. Welcome to the Horsewise Podcast. It's great to have you on. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I just wanted to kind of start out by letting my listeners know how it is that I came to discover you. Not that it's difficult to discover you, because I feel like you've sort of you've sort of penetrated all parts of the horse industry now. But just in case, because we have listeners who are actually like all over the world who, who by some chance haven't heard of you. But uh, I do two things. I started out uh, teaching young interns through a resource charity called Lope. So we work with older horses that ran for a long time. They retired at age 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 from the racetrack. We call them war horses. And they always have a lot of physical braces because if you win and you run with the worst biomechanics in the world, nobody's going to correct you. They're going to go, oh, he wins like that. So then they come off the track. They have all these muscle braces. And of course, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of sometimes, you know, emotionalism around work, sometimes for the positive, sometimes for the not so positive. So we use a lot of groundwork and body language is really important. Body language with our interns and also with the horses. And then I also uh, coach people on horsemanship and do the podcast. I do that uh, through my own kind of work just because I was having like 45 year olds wanting to be teenage lope interns. So I couldn't teach through that anymore. So that's what I do. And I'm also always looking for ways to help people build awareness of their body of just how they're carrying themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very right-sided for example. So I always use myself as the example of I lean way over here. And I think that, I think this is straight. And so when someone tries to correct me, I feel like they're making me do this and I'm way off balance. And so I'm always trying to do fun exercises. And I, of course, had been following you on Eclectic Horseman and reading the articles. And then I started giving my students some of the little short Eclectic Horseman videos where you have your little skeleton friend. Oh, yeah. I, what's his name? You have Neville. A name. Well, okay. I can interrupt you. Okay. Neville's the latest one. Okay. And uh, you know, they're just, they were really evocative for my students and for my clients and, and they helped me a lot. And then it also gave me a lot of insights about some of these more, again, horses that have come off the tracker after long athletic careers who are used to doing things a certain way. And if you can just sort of help them sort of shift a little bit physically, their proprioception, then things really change. So that's how I discovered you. And I would just really love to hear about how you got started in such a, an exhaustive study and teaching career. Well, um, 
you know, I always tell people there was a horse on my first birthday cake Aww. and I'm from a non-horsey family. So, you know, we, they couldn't drive anywhere where if I saw a horse, I wasn't, you know, screaming out the window. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think that that's, you know, people who don't uh, have horses in their lives, you know, that it's hard to understand the born, born to horses children. Um, but those of us in the know know that's true. Um, it's in our blood from the moment we hit the ground. So, um, you know, I started taking riding lessons at 11. Um, I bought my first horse at 15, came home and told my mother I'd bought a horse. Um, my parents <laughs> were divorced and my dad converted his garage into a stable. So I kept oh my, my horse there. Um, and I was in 4-H. I had a fantastic 4-H leader, Kathy Campbell, who was just, uh, in, you know, a mentor to me as well as a teacher. Um, and so when I went off to college, I, you know, I couldn't keep my horse anymore. So I, um, loaned him out as a school horse. And I went to the University of New Hampshire and uh, was in animal science, um, studying equine reproductive physiology as wow. one of my courses, um, which I really love the instructor. And, you know, sometimes I think um, the teacher is more important than the subject. Yes, definitely. So, you know, he, I had this uh, teacher who was very inspirational. And so after my undergrad degree, I wound up working at Dartmouth Medical School um, but I wasn't with horses and I wasn't happy. Mm. So I wound up moving for, and I wasn't happy about winter. We had a snowstorm in April and I was like, so done. He's <laughs> like, that is, not, that, accept that is not acceptable, not acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> so I moved to Virginia and got a job in the biology department there, but immediately found a barn where I could help, you know, and work. And, um, and realized that I, you know, I, my life would not be satisfactory unless horses were the primary in my life. And so I had to figure out how am I going to not live at the end of a pitchfork right. and, and follow my dreams. So that's when I went back for a master's degree and in equine reproductive physiology, because that teacher inspired me. Mm -hmm. And I went to the University of Kentucky in Lexington. Um, and so during my master's degree, I wound up managing an event barn and we brought five horses up from Georgia. That was a, there was a third, you know, thoroughbreds off the track. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I got on one of them who was known to rear and he flipped over and rolled over me and punched my femur through my hip socket. Ah, so, brutal. um, that, you know, and it's like, I was 27. Um, and I thought I was going to be a rider, you know, that's what I, I really wanted to be like a tough event rider and do that. But th this completely changed my life in, in seconds. Mm -hmm. um, and while I was recovering in the hospital, a friend brought me a newsletter by Linda Tellington Jones mm -hmm. and a book called Illusions by Richard Bach. And if you've never heard of Illusions, I highly recommend it to everyone. Um, it's the same author as Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really about, um, it's all about perception. And whether that's a horse, a person, our lives, it's about perception. It's about focusing the lens. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like with these thoroughbreds off the track, they're so often they're labeled, though this one's difficult. Oh, he's, right. oh, he's, you got, you got to be, you know, we label them. But with that label, this, we put a stigma on them that mm -hmm. they can't escape and we pass it from person to person. 
And so it locks them into a behavior that may not be what that horse really wants to be, but we've already put the intention out there. And so that's what we see. And that's how we approach them too. Absolutely. We approach them in some ways that we're not even aware that we're putting that signal out that you're, you're difficult or you're not trustworthy. Right. And so illusions um, is really about focusing the lens. So in the story, there's these guys that barnstorm and the mentor is trying to explain to this guy, you know, it's really, it, he doesn't use the word perception, but it's really about how you look at things. And so the guy says, all right, well, I'm going to look for a blue feather. And so that was his focus, right? And all day he's looking and looking, he can't find a blue feather. And then finally they're in a diner that night and they're on the milk carton on the back of the milk carton is a blue feather. And so sometimes it doesn't come to us in the way we expect. Mm -hmm. And my career did not come to me in the way I expected. I wanted my career to be an event rider, but I was refocused to a a life with um, helping horse people and horses um, that's come, that was so not even in my scope of awareness at the time. Um, But, you know, I read that book and it just really, it really said to me, it's all here. It's just a question of whether or not we can see it. It's, it's all Mm -hmm. available. And so I, I, the other thing was the Tellington Jones newsletter. And I knew as soon as I read that, that I had to get to a clinic and I got there a year to the day after my accident, plus one um, up in Wisconsin. And as soon as I met Linda, whom I, I was a scientist. Okay. I was a scientist. Right, right, right. Like a real one, like a, like a, like a degreed scientist. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, And so, you know, I walk in and this is like a completely different world, but it, you know, I was ready. And so she's, incredibly talented and inspirational. And, you know, I mean, I, so much of my life was between those two things completely shifted Mm -hmm. completely Um, because Linda had worked with Dr. Feldenkrais. So I learned about the Feldenkrais method and Mm -hmm. um, you know, I studied with Linda for years at my second uh, clinic with Linda. I met Sally Swift. Mm -hmm. I went on to apprentice with Sally um, you know, I met Dr. Joyce Harmon, whom, you know, I've done many webinars. She's been my friend for 30 years. Um, you know, so, so often we have things happen to us that we think are horrendous. And yeah, I mean, I was lucky because I bruised two inches of the sciatic nerve and had that been severed, I would not have a left leg. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's the piece, but also the, the course correction, I mean, it was just like, you are going the wrong way and we're just going to course correct you over here and that's it. And, and, and it set the course of the rest of my life. So it's about taking the, the message and looking for the advantage or the direction, you know, like I, I keep talking about the pandemic. Mm. Um, I've now done over 195 webinars as a result of the pandemic. Um, and they're all on my Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. They're all free to everybody. And, you know, and they're awesome. I mean, there's so much fun. There's so much fun. And you go into so much uh, degree of depth with these individuals. These aren't like quick pro forma marketing. I mean, it's a real discussion and yeah. uh, a huge service to the industry that you did that and do that still. Do that. Yeah. And I, we'll keep going. Oh, <laughs> um, good. Yeah. It's really fun. But, you know, it's like, uh, 
I, I could have just felt sorry for myself and, and, you know, I'm never going to be around a horse again, but that's not, I, I just, I don't have a choice about that part. Right. right that's right. just, that's who I am, who I was born to be. Um, but it was taking advantage of it and going, I need to do something different. And I don't know what that is. Um, you know, I quit my, I was going to get a doctoral degree. I quit the doctoral degree. I, you know, leaped off the cliff because I had student loans. I, you know, oh, wow. um, but you know, that's like, that's what I was saying. It's like the pandemic that it's caused us to have to reassess and reevaluate and then take advantage of the opportunity. Yes, very much and, so. And that's, and that's the piece for me. It's like, um, you know, how can we take advantage of this opportunity that we would never have done without a, such a huge force redirecting us. Um, and whether that's, you know, me doing the webinars or other people realizing they don't like their job and they're going to change their job right. or, you know, they got ill and they can't do what they did before. So how can they remake themselves? And I really think of this as an opportunity to remake ourselves if, if we are wanting a change. Absolutely. And I have a totally superficial analogy. So um, I didn't even see this movie. I think I read a description of it when I was a kid. So when I was really little, um, I would go through and read like old movie reviews. And like my mom was like an old movie fan. And so like by age eight, I had a really bizarre knowledge of movies <laughs> that I would never see. I don't know what that was. And I read about this movie. It was one, it was a movie that Marilyn Monroe had starred in at a very young age, not started, she was in it as a young age. And essentially what the premise was, it was a comedy, was that it turned out due to some technical bureaucratic issue or maybe that the judge was not uh, actually a real judge, that everybody's marriage licenses in this certain time frame were completely void. And so you can imagine, like this created a lot of controversy. It was set in a small town or whatever. And Marilyn Monroe played um, a young, recently married woman, you know, of course, very pretty because it's Marilyn Monroe. And um, instead of being absolutely devastated by that, she went and won a major beauty contest because back in the day, this is this is really hard for our modern uh, kind of sensibilities. You had to be single. You couldn't be married. And so she's like, how can I make this into a huge advantage and do something with it rather than, you know, being in despair? And I don't know why of all the things that would inspire like an eight year old. There's some old movie that I'm never going to see that I just read a description, but that always stuck in my head. And um, I also had an unusual trajectory with horses. I also grew up in a non-horsey family. I didn't get my first horse to my 30s, though. I was a total, you know, geek and all that stuff. And um, every time that I've kind of hit a strange obstacle, or like in this take, let's take the pandemic as a really good example, my approach has always been there's always some advantage out of this, even if it's one that I don't want or that I never do that I really. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to take that. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to take advantage of it. I'm going to be Marilyn Monroe, even though I really don't look like Marilyn Monroe, but I'm going to take advantage of that and also um, embrace it. So, and there's something about that too, like with horses, if you fixate on always seeing things the same way, using the same approach with the horse, even if it's a good approach, even if it's a good training technique, if you get stuck like that, you miss so much. And um, when I started working with the X-Race horses, I had never worked with X-Race horses before. I really wasn't qualified to, certainly wasn't qualified to train them, barely to ride them and never run a farm. You know, it's one of these things. 
And if I had been fixated on doing it right, I never would have done it, but I just kind of let the horses guide me a little bit. And then of course I became very interested in horsemanship. So, so I totally understand that. And I think your, your life story is a great example of really embracing it, you know, and everything that came before for you, the scientific background, the love of horses, none of that was thrown away either. You took that and put it into a mix that it would have not had before, but it was still valuable. It wasn't like everything before then was uh, just to be discarded. So I, I love you, that you story. Know, it's such a good point because when I, when I work with riders and I show them how I teach riding, so many of them um, get uh, depressed, as in, but down on themselves for not having learned it that way from the beginning. But, you know, it's we we do with what we have and what we know and the most important thing is to go wow here's a new piece of information let me plug it in it doesn't mean you throw away everything else because mm -hmm. there's always going to be a time and a place where that experiences that you've had in the past could be useful either for what you don't want to do maybe you need to do that one now or mm -hmm. you can see another way to do it in other words all of life experience leads us to where we are. And I, you know, I, so often it's like riders will ask me questions. It's like, I, I don't know what came before. I can only tell you what I see right here. Exactly. Right. And this is what I see right here, how it got there. There's a million ways probably, and you could probably dissect it if you want, but what's the point? Right. This is where you are. How can we move forward? What, what piece of information? And that's the thing from the Feldenkrais work that for me, is what I really take from that is that Feldenkrais would say that there's nothing wrong with you. You're just missing some information, mm -hmm. right? And so if I can impart with you some, whether that's how to move your body, whether that's understanding how to break something down, whether that's, you know, an idea that you didn't know about, how right. can I give you a piece of information that helps you reach your potential as opposed to what, is, and this is one of the things that's so common in teaching writing is I'll ask students, what do you do well? Um, um, uh, what do you do? I can't do this and this. I don't sit the trot. I can't get the can or my blow the trans. You know, our, our lens is focused on what we don't do mm -hmm. as opposed to what we do do, what we want to cultivate. And the, this is the thing that I, I took tennis for a while. I like to take some, take up a new something to be the student again. And so I remember when I started taking tennis lessons and I hit a really good shot and the instructor stopped me. And, and I was like, oh my God, look at that. He's like, wait, <laughs> stop. I'm like, okay. Savor it, savor you know, it. And savor it and how that feel and visualize it again. And I was just blown away. <laughs> I was like, you're great. But, but I got it. I, it's like, you know, if you want to create something, you've got to put your focus on it. It's the same thing as the blue feather. You've got to put your focus on it. And if you focus on the thing you don't want, guess what you're going to have? <laughs> Every time. And I talk about with, um, you know, students or, and interns, riders, clients, the I suck and my horse hates me syndrome. This is mm. something that I hear over and over again. And it's like, First of all, your horse doesn't hate you. Like, it's just not how horses operate. And you don't suck. Like, people who really do suck and whose horses really do hate them, they never say that about themselves. Right. They're completely clueless. And um, I, I, it gets in the way so much when really yeah. it's just, it's really kind of a very, you focus on the right core things, the simple things, 
and you allow yourself to enjoy things so you can relax and enjoy your horse. It's amazing how things fall into place and it's different for each person. So and each horse. It's, and, and, and that in each horse, yes. And horses are totally in the moment. So to the extent we can just sort of put, like you were saying, like, it doesn't matter how you got here or, you know, where these things came from, just like the horse, this is where, where you are in the moment. This is where the horse is in the moment. And every moment together is an opportunity to, you know, deepen your partnership or see things a new way or go in a different direction or stay in the same direction. It's very fluid. And I love that, you know, about the horse. And and it's, um, you know, it's so fascinating because the, the person that says, oh, I suck. For me, it's like, wow, what, where was your teacher? Yes. <laughs> you know, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and this is, this is what, you know, when I apprenticed with Sally, um, the one thing, and Denny Emerson said it at one of our annual meetings one time, her joy of teaching. And that was the thing that, uh, was so the thing that I think I took the most from her was was her joy in teaching. And you look at some instructors and they're it's like their job is to make you miserable. Right. And, you know, why are you there then? It's it's supposed to be a, a learning experience. And so I've, you know, the more, and of course Surefoot we haven't brought into the picture yet, but I've been trying to figure out how Surefoot works. But in that process, I've been exploring and studying like learning theory and vagal nerve and, and all these other topics and all the webinars, right? right. Um, and it keeps coming back to something that I learned from Feldenkrais, who was so way ahead of his time. You know, he's been dead for, I don't know, since the 80s. So um, he would be over 100 now. Um, but the environment needs to be, you need to feel safe. Mm-hmm. If the student doesn't feel safe, mm-hmm. then you, you're not going to learn. And that's all about vagal theory too. Same that's thing. right. And whether that's the horse or the person. And so that, that student that says, oh, I saw, clearly you haven't been made feel safe. Right. Right. And so without the sense of safety and granted, riding is not always safe. I'm the case in point. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that to feel safe, to, ma- to make it possible to learn. So if you're feeling scared or threatened or overwhelmed, you might go through a routine, but you're not going to learn. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you have to be um, that like for children, you need, you need to have a good night's sleep. A horse needs a good night's sleep. If you've ever worked mm-hmm. with a horse that doesn't have a good night's sleep. It's not good. It's not good. It's not good. Not yeah. good. <laughs> no. Right. You need to be, uh, have food in your tummy because a hungry horse, a hungry person can't learn. Right. You need to have companionship. That is that it, we are the same as the horses. The horses have a herd. We need companion. Why are we with the horse? Companionship. Mm-hmm. That's what we're seeking, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, the basic tenets of learning, whether it's a horse or a person, are exactly the same. And it's in making that environment of, of feeling safe, comfortable, fed, well-slept, and, and herd companionship that we can learn. And so, you know, like, I can't tell you how many times people were so nervous to come to my clinics and after, you know, like I had this one clinic, everybody was terrified that of riding, you know. And, 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 you're, and you're obviously so intimidating and scary, right? Yeah, I get it. You know, but I am because, you know, they, oh, it's, you know, and it's, I, anyway. Um, but the, 
I, I always use safe, fun, and educational to get through that. So mm-hmm. if I make you feel safe, if you realize that I am there for your best interest, and if I see something dangerous, I'll take you off the horse. I will right. not leave you on that horse, right? So safety is my number one. I've been hurt badly enough to know how important safety is, right? And then it has to be fun. If it's yes. not fun, you're not riding to be a professional, 90% of the people. You're riding because you want to have an enjoyable experience. So you want to have fun. You want to have a good time with the horse. Um, it has to be fun. And then, then you can learn. And, you know, when, when we, for me, when I put it in that order, people come away with learning so much, mm-hmm. right? Um, because I put the priorities of, I'm going to take, make sure I take care of you. I'm not, if I see anything that I can't, deal with you're not gonna do it mm-hmm. <laughs> um I can't stand to have anyone get hurt I know what getting hurt is um so it freaks me out yeah as um, well it should I'm I'm neurotic about safety uh again I work with on the charity side I work with young interns under 18 some of them are under 12 I also started a 4-h program yeah. Or introduced a horsemanship buckle, right? So horse wife sponsored when it's all about groundwork. So I'm working with kids and that. And it's like, I tell them, I'm like, listen, I'm totally neurotic. I'm going to tell you to do things that seem weird to you. Like keep your feet in the stirrups at all times. That's just me. It's my job to keep you safe. I make a joke out of it. And, and the kids get it. Like they're like, well, you know, Miss, Miss Lynn, she's a little weird that way. Let's indulge her. But they also relax because they know that I'm looking out for them. That's right. The You're looking out for them the best of my capability. And that's a big thing with me. It's just uh, right. important, you know? Because it's, you have to set up the conditions for learning. Right. And that is a primary condition for learning, whether it's a horse or a person, it's a primary condition for learning. And everything else, that's the vagal response. The vagal response is, am I safe? You know, do I have time to kind of tell you how I explain this to people? Absolutely. I mean, it's my, it's my podcast. I get to do whatever I want. So yeah, go. I talk about the the dinner party. So um, your, your, your significant other comes home from work and says, tomorrow night, we have to go to a dinner party at my boss's house. And as soon as we get there, I have to go in for a very important meeting. So see, that's the face, the cringe, the cringe face. The first thing you think of is how can I get out of it? Right. right? I don't, I don't want, I want, you know, I've I plan to watch a movie in my jammies. I was going to have my <laughs> snacks. I got it all set up. I'm already, and now I have to get, I have to get dressed. I have to put on heels, makeup, jewelry, because I have to go with you. So, and, and so it's his, and it's your, it's his, his boss too. So you have to make a good impression. Absolutely. You're not, you're not just going to friend's house. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that's like going to catch the horse in the field. We're going to take you to a horse show, right? And we're going to go catch him in the field. And you're like, no, I really, I had planned to eat this hay today. Right, right. Right. I planned to eat this hay and I, and you're coming to me and clearly something's not good that we're going to have to do. Right. So the first thing they're like is how can I get out of this? I think I'll run away. I think I'll be difficult to catch. Right. It's the same thing as the, you know, the husband coming home and telling us we got to go to the dinner party. The next thing is, okay, so you get dressed. So, you know, and they drives you to the dinner party and you get out of the car and you walk up on the steps and the door opens and there's the boss. And, you know, you have to walk. Yeah. You're, you've been through this. (laughs) And so now you, you enter the arena and what's the first thing you do? You look for the exits. Where's Mm. the escape room? 
where's the door? Where's the bathroom? Can I hide in the bathroom? Can I, can I get out the outside on the deck where nobody is? You know, we take the horses into an arena and they're like, where are the exits? And where's the safety? Where's, where's my friend from the bar that I can go hang out ah, with? Right. See, that's the next thing you walk in and you go, I met that person five years ago at a horse show. I know she likes horses. I'm going to go talk to her. You flock. You flock to the people that you know are like you. When a horse gets into a strange arena, he's if there's another horse in there, he's going to want to flock. Safety in numbers. Makes I know sense. you. You're a horse. I'm a horse. We're okay if we can be together as a horse. You flock to the person that even if it was 20 years ago and, you know, it's like, I think she knows horses. What's the next thing we do at the dinner party? We've kind of skipped one. Uh, you go know. to the bar. Oh, right. Go to the bar. <laughs> <laughs> you go to the bar, right? And you get a drink. Why? Because you're trying to reduce your anxiety level. Trying to relax. Yeah. Right. So a drink is how you can deal with the anxiety. A horse can't go get a drink at the bar. So they don't have that option. Right. They'll, they're going to walk in and they're going to flock or they're going to do the next thing. Where do you go after you've got your drink and you haven't found your friend yet? I haven't found my friend yet. I go into the corner or I go to the bathroom typically. Okay, so, so you're the one that's, see, yeah, I nailed you in the beginning. I hide out. Yeah, or you go to the snack table. Ah. And you feed, right? You eat. What do horses try to do? Nervous grazing. Is there any food around? Do you have any food? You know, I need to put my mouth on something because I need to eat because I'm trying to passive, I'm trying to calm myself. And so, you know, this is where, we want to think of horses as being so different than us, but we are mammals and we have vagal response and it's the same. We just can color it with all nice fancy colors and, you know, fake it, but it's the same thing. And so we want food, right? So we have, we've tried to avoid it. We've looked for the exits. We've tried to flock to a friend. We're going to try and find something to eat and we're going to take a drink if we can. Right. And then there's always the one that is in the party and they're like, well, your way is to go to the bathroom, but their way is to be the clown, to ah. fool around, right? I'm going to be the one entertaining everybody. I'm going to tell a really funny story and I'm going to dance <laughs> around and I'll be really silly and everybody will laugh at me. I am, I am not okay. Right. <laughs> I'm so not okay. I'm agitated. I'm agitated. Yeah. Yeah. Look I at Robin heard. Williams. He wasn't okay, but he was the clown. And so he, you know, we, we hide our anxiety in activity. And then we yell at the horse that fools around. Quit it. Stop it. Don't chew on the lead shank. Hold still. Stand still. Don't do this. Don't do that. But we don't ask why mm -hmm. are they fooling around? And Robin Hood said it best. She calls it controlled flight. Mm, interesting. So they can't flee, right? But the anxiety of needing to flee is still there. So they fool around and they distract and then they get in trouble, right? Mm. And so then we start yelling at them to quit it and stand still and don't do that and leave the halter alone. Take the lead shank out of your mouth. And we fail to go, wait a second, you're really not okay, are you? And if we could stop and say, whoa, you know, this tells me that you're not feeling safe. Mm -hmm. Whether that's with me, whether that's with the environment, whether that's with whatever, you're not feeling safe. Can I do something to help you feel secure 
and maybe I, and that's where Surefoot comes in, by the way. How can I help you feel grounded and secure so that this behavior is unnecessary as opposed to simply reacting to the behavior, mm-hmm. which just escalates and may, and sustains? Well, and, and I've seen this a lot with some of the war horses is uh, if you try to shut that down, if it, it's not going to work, you know, particularly with that kind of horse, just because, you know, their job was to be that way all the time, right before they ran, you know, well, they, and it's their coping mechanism. It's their coping mechanism. Exactly. And just to kind of take a moment and acknowledge to the horse that, Hey, I see this is going on. And, um, and to sort of pattern interrupt in some way that is not about taking them somewhere or like, you know, getting frenzied yourself with energy, but just like, hey, I see what's going on here. I, I understand. And, and just, I think that can be really key. And it, it, it sounds deceptively simple, but it's something I've noticed, you know, if I'm quiet in my mind and I see that horse is doing that, instead of trying to immediately fix it, it's more like, hey, can I, can I establish with you that I understand that you, you need something? preferably from me. What can I, how can I help you? That's something well, that I, so that's a phrase I have in my head a lot. How can I help you? It might right. be that I need, I need to set a big boundary. It might be that I need to do something totally different in this event, but how can I help you? How can I be of service? Is a yeah. word, a phrase that comes to my mind a lot. Because they, you know, what they've done is they've developed just like people coping mechanisms to deal with their environment and to deal with the times when they're not actually able to utilize the energy on the track. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, I worked in Kentucky. I worked with the racehorses. Um, I worked with the yearlings. They were fed and kept up so that they had lots of life when you went to show them to the buyers, Exactly. you know, and they're uh, quite a dance. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So like them, they like them on their toes, as they say. Yep, they do. (laughs) (laughs) And you're expendable uh, as the handler. Um, so, you know, it, we have, if we can stop for a moment and see them in our own, personalize their experience for a moment, not, not to, it's not about empathy. It's about understanding. If I understand that this behavior is telling me you are not okay, then I can approach that in a completely different way than just reacting to your behavior. And mm-hmm. the reason we react to the behavior is because we don't know what else to do. When we right? don't understand, we don't understand it. Well, it's too. not even understand. You have yeah. to have a choice. You have to have an option. Mm-hmm. If you don't have an option, you can't, you, you know, abuse begins where we run out of options. That's where mm-hmm. abuse begins. Um, and so, and, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm the first person to say, you know, I've done things that I totally regret, but I, you know, the whole point is to learn from those experiences and have more tools in my kit so that I can make better choices. And it's the same for the horses. We want to give them more tools in their kit so they can make better choices instead of having to bite the lead shank. Maybe they can, you know, uh, find a way to ground themselves on a surefoot pad or, you know, whatever it is, but to give them more choices because when we start to understand the brain and understand habits, habits are simply routines. Mm-hmm. And we, we have to give them other routines to choose mm-hmm. in order to change behavior. It's not like they're trying to do this to us. It's that, you know, it's the pattern and the brain 
whether it's a horse brain or a human brain, you know, this is the thing that I'm really curious about is when, when, a, when a person changes a pattern, you don't change the cue, you change the routine and you have the same reward. Well, when you're changing a pattern in a horse, what I find fascinating is how rapidly they will give up a routine when they have a choice. Interesting. So, you know, a, a case in point, um, the I had a horse that had Lyme disease and after she was treated for Lyme disease, she would twist her head completely sideways at the trot to the right and the woman wouldn't even canter her right. We did one 40 minute of surefoot session with meaning stand on pads, go for a walk, stand on pads, go for a trot, right? In between. Mm-hmm one session and she completely let that pattern go Wow! completely. Now, when you think about a person changing a habit, <laughs> it's going to be more than that. Yeah. And it's I think this is a lot more. And I think this is a great time to just introduce Surefoot for the listeners who don't exactly understand what that is. And uh, just please let us go, go ahead yeah. and give us the talk, because I think it's something that combines so many different elements of the discussion so far. So it's just perfectly yeah. logical. So so I'll just kind of like timeline. So I apprenticed with, I worked with Linda, I apprenticed with Sally, I taught center riding, I became a Feldenkrais practitioner. I went out on my own because I found that Feldenkrais fit for me in terms of what I teach so much more so than um, Alexander technique or kind of the direction center riding was going. And I recognized that if I didn't help the horse, the rider, would be stuck in it, you know, you can only do so much with your own body. You have to look back at the horse and go, wait a second, this, we need to help the horse change patterns, right? We, the horse needs mm-hmm. more balance. So, um, you know, I needed to be more encompassing in my teaching and not feel restricted to just the rider. So um, then 12 years ago, having studied Feldenkrais method for 16 years, um, it's always in my thought. And when I say that, what I mean is that Feldenkrais is about possibilities. Feldenkrais said yes and no is not an option. You need at least a third choice. Um, and that we act in accordance to our own self-image, right? We act in accordance to our own self-image. So, you know, you see the rider that's kind of like all sunken chest and everything, and they're going to be the one that, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you give them another option there, they can be out there, right? They can be their potential. So, so we're looking at potential, we're looking at choices, and we're looking at asking questions. So, um, Feldenkrais is very Socratic, meaning mm, nice. Yes, I um, understand. You know, it's it, you you ask questions as opposed to tell people. And my students they hate me sometimes because I'm like, <laughs> you know, tell just tell me the answer. I'm like, no, because if if I just tell you the answer, it's only that one moment. If you learn to understand, if, if you find the answer, you remember that you retain it. You discover right. the answer rather than me telling you something that is just right. something else a teacher told you. And, and it's about self-responsibilities, yes. self-ability to respond, right? So if I show you how to do something and you learn how to do something, you have the ability to respond. But if I just tell you what to do, what do you do when you're in a different situation? You don't know um, what to do because yeah. you don't know how to respond. So um so that's all in the background, right? And then in 2012, um, I have a client that uh, I'd seen the horse for three years. He was lame when I started and I used Feldenkrais method with the horse. And he, I mean, the horse was doing great. The rider was getting eights on harmony and her dressage tests. Um, and she decided that she would like to do some jumping. So she borrowed a jumping saddle and she rode him that month in between my 
seeing him in the dressage saddle and it was crooked. And so it put pressure on the back right corner and he was short in the right hind leg and we switched the saddle back, he was still short. And so that night I was gonna see him the next day. That night I went home and I was talking to Dr. Harmon on the phone. And this was before Vera Dex desks had come into vogue. And she wanted to stand at her computer and she wanted a pad to stand on. So while we were talking, she started telling me how they were putting dogs on different unstable surfaces for rehabilitation. So I'm mm. tapping away on my laptop and I'm looking at dogs on all these different things. And I was like, well, that's really interesting. I wonder if that would work for a horse. And she said, I don't know, but whatever you do, time it for 15 seconds, keep it really short. So I said, fine. So I went into my shed and I grabbed an object and I drove to the lesson and I walk up to my student who's already on the horse. And I'm like, I'm going to do this thing. And my students are so used to it. What is she going to do today? <laughs> it's, the, it's the ultimate experiment lab. Yeah, absolutely. And so I pick up his right hind leg. I stick this thing underneath. I step him down. I time it for 15 seconds and he walked off completely different. Wow. So twice in my life, I've had an experience where 15 seconds has completely changed my life. The first time was my accident. This was the second time. And that day I worked with three different horses, a halfling or a quarter horse and a warm blood. And they all changed in rapid, rapid, like quarter horse went round in his canner. The halflinger went round in his canner. Wow. <laughs> I know. And my friend who owned the halflinger, Catherine Wyckoff, is also a fellow Feldenkrais practitioner. So the two of us are like buzzing away, trying to figure out what is going on. How is this working? What is, well, we still don't totally know. And she's still a very dear friend. Um, but that was the start. And so, you know, roll the ball forward. Um, I was using human products that weren't holding up. So I have wound up creating a line of surefoot pads for horses that are, you know, they're a tool. They're going to get nicks and tears and cuts because mm -hmm. it's a tool, just like any tool. Mm -hmm. And, but they're really, really durable and they work. And that's the thing is that we see horses. And, you know, if you want to learn a lot about surefoot, just go to Facebook and join the fans of surefoot page because people are posting about their horses all the time there. Um, but I've seen so many incredible things and some horses, it happens overnight. Other horses, it happens in, in the session. Other horses, it takes a couple of months. Change is not something we can nail down in a time frame mm -hmm. because we don't know the circumstances that have set that up. And we don't know the type of learner that horse is. And all of those factors go in. However, that said, I mean, I've had horses, I had one horse, oh, Lars. He was an Amish driving horse who was literally like a giraffe. His withers were so much, his neck, his pole, his withers and his croup <laughs> were like a giraffe. Oh, oh. Um, and the owner, she was lovely. She'd only had him a few months and she wound up sliding off of him one time. <laughs> um, but he came to our Surefoot workshop and on day one, um, I did a little of each front foot and then I put him on a pair of hard pads and he stood very quietly. So I let him stand there for a little while. The next day he came in with his neck on, down. Wow. And then we did a little more and she sent me a video and he's walking with his head down. I mean, and it was two sessions, right? For a horse that was a driving horse for who knows how long. Right. So that's where it's, I find it fascinating because we know with habits with people, you've really got to make this different routine, but there's some situations with horses where you just provide an opportunity and they just change and they change and, like 
in front of you. And you're providing the sure what the surefoot is doing is providing an avenue to that change through the nervous system through yes yeah because the foot has to interface with the ground, right? All horses get our four feet, and they spend most of their time on their feet. Very little time do they wind up laying down, right? Mm-hmm. So how that foot meets the ground, that foot is a sensory organ. It's sensing vibration, temperature, footing, surface changes, all these different things. So it's a it's an avenue right up to the nervous system in the brain. Like like and the the very fascinating thing that that we saw and we saw way early on, doesn't matter if they're barefoot or shod or boots, that doesn't matter. Um, but I was working with Steven Peters. I went and he's, um, mm-hmm. horsemanship and way early on, I went to his place and I worked with his horses for a day. And he was like, he saw breathing changes in three to 10 seconds. And I've timed it. There are breathing changes in three wow. to 10 seconds. There is a, the horses learn to throw the parasympathetic switch. They, you know, you'll see them go from sympathetic to parasympathetic it, it can be instant. It might take a couple minutes. You know, it's like, it's the majority of horses, the change is rapid and it sticks. And if it doesn't stick, there's an underlying problem you missed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, he called me a drug story. He said, you know, it's like <laughs> you're flooding the brain with all kinds, you know, dopamine and endorphins and acetylcholine and all this different stuff. And it's, um, so there's a channel from the foot to the brain for neurochemicals. There's fascia, there's blood flow, there's you know uh, gravity, there's proprioceptors, the mechanoreceptors. I mean, we're hitting everything because you know we know no foot, no horse. But mm-hmm. what we had not thought about was the connection of the foot to the ground. And that's what surefoot is, the connection of the foot to the ground. When you feel secure on your feet, you can look at something and evaluate. But if you take your 40 pound head on your thousand pound horse and you turn to look at something and you lean through your shoulder and now something starts to approach, you're gone. You have no mm-hmm. choice. Mm-hmm. You're falling, right? And you're running after your head. <laughs> right, 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 right. Or somebody's <laughs> holding your head and you're falling through your shoulder because you can't get your feet back underneath you. Mm-hmm. And with surefoot, it helps reestablish grounding, proprioception, uh, calmness. Um, it, it it's really quite it's it's so fascinating and hard to describe in words when you see it. And that was you know in the beginning when I first started, people thought I was crazy. What are you doing? You're sticking foam pads underneath horses' feet. I was like, yeah, look, watch. I mean, don't listen to me. Don't listen to everything. Just watch the horse. And the horses are what has convinced people this is real because you can't fake it. They don't Mm -hmm. have a placebo effect, Mm -hmm. you know? And so um, it doesn't matter, as long as it's got a hoof, it doesn't matter if it's a donkey or a mule or a horse, um, that um, uh, nervous system, that sensory organ of the foot has the same job and it's got to report, like when you think about it, it's got to get underneath that head. In other words, if a horse is running, a racehorse is running. Right, right, right. foot doesn't get where it needs to go. That thing is on the ground. It is. And as prey animals, the hoof is the key. It's everything, right? It's they, everything. That's, how, that's how they flee. That's how they, as you said, intuit, you know, yeah. all kinds they of things about vibrations. their bounce. Yeah, they feel vibrations. And for you, 
I would say almost all the people who listen to my podcast, I would guess are horse people, but for the few who maybe aren't, you know, a horse's foot is not like our foot. It's not only because it has a hoof, but because the amount of even nerve endings, blood flow, a, a, a simple injury in the foot can kill a horse if it yeah. gets into the bloodstream. So it's a completely different, uh, it, there's not a true analogy between the anatomy of a human foot and a horse's hoof. No. And uh, we can use our hands for balance. We can do all kinds of things. We can adapt to only having one leg or no legs, but horses can't, that's it, that's done for them. They have to have all four feet able yeah. to be on the ground. And so, and this is not like you just pulled out two of your sofa pads and threw horses on them. And it's like, seems to help them. Like you actually developed this after that first experiment. Yes, so you have a whole series, like the, the, sure, the surefoot pads, they're not just in different colors. Like you have- They're different did, densities. Different densities. And each of those you've come over the years to discover has a particular benefit. Is that right? Yes. And you know, just like balance training in people has been around for a while. And you don't start balance training with an unstable person on the most unstable surface. Right. You do a graded uh, process of from more stable to less stable. And so in the same way, surefoot pads have a graded process from hard to soft. So there's hard, firm, medium, and soft. Hard has no lateral instability. Okay. So when the horse steps on it, it's going to give to heat and pressure, but it's, it's just going to go straight down. Mm -hmm. When we get to firm, we start lateral instability. So it can give side to side as well as front to back, right? When we get to medium, it's very springy and soft has the most amount of give. It's the most unstable. Mm -hmm. And then we created one for, we called it the farrier pad, but we've changed it to physio pad because we realized going back to safety that the reason most horses won't stand for the farrier is that they're uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And when a horse is uncomfortable and you're trying to get underneath it, and take your foot away. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we wanted to make it safer for everyone. And so we created a, the physio pad, which is an inch of hard and a half inch of medium. So it's stable. It's not mm -hmm. the unstable. We're not trying to do balance training here. We're mm -hmm. trying to offer comfort and stability so the horse can stand and be safe. And we have barriers all over the world using the physio pad now to help with horses. We have one guy in Kentucky and he's so sweet. He called me up. He's had his pad for like four years and he called me up last spring and told me about how that pad has allowed him to work on horses that otherwise he couldn't do. Oh, wow. Right. And so, um, and then we changed the name to physio because we had all these physical therapists using it as a treatment oh. pad. Oh, wow. That's so cool. Um, and it's a really great one for as an, you know, if I'm concerned about a horse, it's because it's only an inch and a half rather than two inches. If I, if I'm not sure about the horse, I want to start with something and just kind of test the waters. I'll start with that. Um, and we've had people stand on it. I had a woman in, when I was in New Zealand, she had come off her horse and had a headache for two weeks and we put her on the pad and her headache went away. Wow. So, you know, I, I don't, I'm the first one to say, I don't know, totally understand how these things work, but we've, you know, we've tested the materials. They're high grade, medical grade foam, some of them, um, you know, it's, it, we really put a lot of research and development into creating them. And um, if there's a fault, we made them too pretty. <laughs> well, they got to be pretty. I mean, well, that's what we've got. They have to be pretty, but people like, you know, I want my pretty pad to stay perfect. Um, but I always tell people, you know, the blanket when you first pull it out of the bag and put it on your horse, it's gorgeous. Ah, 
Yeah. Right. And then uh, you turn them loose and their friend grabs it and rips the horn. <laughs> right. right. That's, and that's, that's when it's your horse truly makes it its own, its own blanket. Yeah. It's taking yeah. this little piece. And then for people who are interested in this and, uh, you know, like I'm immediately thinking of several horses that I work with that would really benefit. What is a, do you, do you usually get four pads, one for each foot? Do you start with two one? Like just kind of explain the process. So I know a little bit about it, but I'd rather yeah. you explain it. Yeah, since no, it's fine. Um, so the, the number one question is what pad do I start with? Mm -hmm. And um, we have a quiz both on the Murdoch method shop and the Surefoot equine, the shop Surefoot equine that you can take to help decide. So the decision really comes down to if your horse is nervous, anxious, weak, recovering, you know, any of those kinds of things, you want to start with hard. You don't want mm -hmm. to frighten them with an unstable surface that they're not ready for. Mm -hmm. So just like with people in physical therapy, you start with the hardest surface mm -hmm. and you work in the progression to other levels of stability. Mm -hmm. So um, we have hard and then we have hard slants, which is cut on an angle. And what we find is we can tell with people and dogs that when you stand on that heel high, your lower back softens. Mm we can't ask the horses that question and you can't feel their psoas, but I really, really, they like the slants and we typically have them heel high and that tends to soften things. And you can use them in front. So you have hard and hard slants. And then if your horse is basically calm, like easygoing, you don't have any health issues, you know, there's, there's nothing glaring, you can start with firm. Okay. And firm has some lateral instability, right? Firm slant is the same material on an angle. Medium is springy. So I tend to go from firm to soft mm -hmm. and then come back to medium. Okay. So it's medium because it's medium in its density, but it's a very springy material and it's the most favorite material for people. People love medium. That's their favorite. <laughs> it's um, right, in the, right in the middle of the road. <laughs> yep. And then soft has the most give. So, you know, I don't typically start with soft, but if I have a horse that's kind of sore footed, I'll go to firm and then I'll get over to soft and offer them like bedroom slippers. How would you like, you know, would you like to feel really yummy and comfy? <laughs> like you got your jammies on in front of the couch, you know? Um, so that's kind of how you choose. And the quiz helps you. You can put in information. We ask questions about your horse and his temperament and that sort of thing um, to help. But what I find with most people is they want to rush to get their horse on four pads because that's what they see. Right. And the only reason you see that more often is because it's that point that you can kind of stand back and snap a pick. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. But right. When they're, goal, they're stepping on the side of it or they've coated their own manure on part. Yeah. That was pretty a photo. Yeah. Right. Um, but, you know, it's really important to just listen to the horse and, and take your time, right? Allow yourself to take time to go through the process as opposed to trying to reach a goal. Mm -hmm. You're really there to facilitate your horse. So in other words, we're giving the horses a voice and saying, what flavor of ice cream would you like? Would you like chocolate or vanilla? And if mm -hmm. I have strawberry, I could offer strawberry, right? But what flavor, and if you want to step off, oh, that's cool. Because if they step off, they've either stepped off because they've lost their balance, which is in the beginning, especially the number mm -hmm. one reason. Um, or that we have kind of a little acronym. They'll step off because of either flies, food, friends, fright, 
follow, they'll follow you, right? Or they're done. Right. And so, you know, stepping off is not a big deal. Take them for a walk and come back and offer again. Um, I, I see so many people, they want their horse to be good. Right. Do it right. I want you to do it right and stand on all four pads because that is the right answer. Right. And it isn't. No, the answer it's not. Is what, what is the process? Right. Asking the question, when I pick up that foot, is the leg tense? Is it soft? Is it going forward? Is it going back? Does it feel light? Is it heavy? Can I pick it up at all? Mm-hmm. So, so when we get into the process of being, uh, of discovery, of childlike curiosity, mm-hmm. then that's when it's going to work the best. Absolutely. Because that's when we're going to really, the horse is going to go, oh, okay, I have an option here. And then he can show us. Because the question is, how? what's your balance like? Right? right. That is it, are you secure on this foot? No, can I pick it? No, oh, I did. And let me tell you this story because I think this kind of epitomizes um, Horses can lose proprioception just like people. Mm. So I was, I, I did a workshop and we had very calm horses. And then we went, I went with the people that hosted me to a, a jumper barn. And they were there because the horse had capped his hocks and she did thermography and she was there to take some pictures. So she led the horse in from the field, put him in the wash rack, took her pictures, total gentleman, everything was cool. And then we said, all right, well, let's, Let's do a surefoot session with him so you guys can get some practice. So we lead him out into an open area, which is really important. So the horses, you have space and you can Mm -hmm. move forward. And she went to pick up his left front foot and it was glued to the ground. And so I was like, well, go see if you can pick up the right front. So she walks over to the right front. She picked his foot up, put it in bed and he spazzed. He just like, like freaked out. Like, oh my God, what is this thing out of my foot? And he spazzed sideways. Wow. And, you know, I had explain to them that this can happen because you know we're asking this question are you know do you know where your feet are and so i took over because they weren't sure what to do which was totally fine and in the end we could put a pad under each front foot but the my conclusion was the reason we couldn't pick up his left front is that he'd lost awareness of his right front mm, and was sense. that the cause for the capped hawks oh that's so interesting which there's no way to answer the question. Right. But it's an but, interesting question that you would have never known to ask without that session. That's right. And in the end, he was, he got very comfortable and his, and we let him graze in between and the grazing changed in, in from sort of an anxious to, you know, calmly, quietly, and he became easier and easier. So if we had never asked the question, right, we wouldn't have discovered and as a performance horse, how important is it to know where both front feet are? Right, right. And, you know, kudos to him. You know, he he probably was the type of horse or is the type of horse who's a little bit stoic, you know, who does his job. And so another horse, you know, some of the horses I work with would be like, oh, my God, my feet. I don't know where they like they'd immediately freak out automatically. And so he was clearly a very steady Eddie type at heart until right. you, you, you pinpointed where it was that he. people are masters at compensation Mm -hmm. right we both are like Mm -hmm. uh you know we don't want to let people know that we have trouble or a problem or we hurt somewhere or right horses because that's a vulnerability and so horses and people hide their vulnerabilities and what we're doing with surefoot is we're we're 
asking, you know, is there something we could learn here? Is there something that we've missed? Mm-hmm. Or is there something that you're going to show me that I didn't get, I didn't pick up on? Because we slow it down, right? right? And it's an offer. I'm not going to tell you to stand. I'm going to say, would you, would you like, that's my thought. Would you like to stand on this pad? Yeah. Are, are you worried about this pad as I approach? Here, take a look. Right. If you're really worried, I have a whole routine on, you know, how to, how to put myself in between so that they feel safe. Right. Oh, so you know? cool. Well, it's kind of, when I work with people, I talk about the CSI mindset, which is not like being a robot, but more like if you kind of remove your emotion around certain things, what are you literally seeing the horse do? Not how do you feel about what you think the horse is doing, but what is the horse actually doing? What are you actually seeing? And that gets back to, again, that, that kind of gives you the focus to ask the quality questions, right? Now that question may be a literal question, or it may be in the case of putting the pad under the horse's foot and, and increasing the quality of your observation as a result. Absolutely. And that, and that's, that, that applies across the board with horsemanship and interaction with horses. So you can observe a horse and say, this horse is pushy, but that horse might not be pushy because of the reasons you think it is. It might have something to do with a physical issue. It might have something to do with your presence that's changing something, it, but there's something real going on. It's not an imaginary thing. It's not because he's a Pisces and you're a Taurus. No. It's about something. And so if you can reduce the emotion a little bit in your own mind or just open up, I think of it as opening up the lens, like you can close the lens, but you can also open it, like clean it up so you can actually see accurately. It makes such a big difference. And the horses sense that difference in the focus. Even if you're not uh, sure what you're seeing, the fact that you're trying to see it, I feel like they really notice that. And especially with their feet, you know, I had this, this little thing I've changed, I guess in the last year and a half. Um, I, I always thought I was pretty careful about putting horses feet down after I picked their hooves, but someone showed me how to do it where you really cradle it in your hand and you relax your shoulder a lot so that you very gently, the horse gives you the foot and you set just the tip on the ground very gently. And that has made such a huge difference, particularly with a couple of the horses I work with regularly, where they really appreciate that, but they also, it gives them a little more awareness of where they're putting their foot. And they're also, and not in a, in a submissive way, but they're giving to me a little bit with their foot. And I'm saying it's safe to do that. I'm going to, I'm not going to just drop it on the ground any old way. I'm going to just put your tip, even though I know you could handle if I just dropped it because I, I want you to know that I'm that careful with your feet. And just and some horses like don't it. have that mid range. They just literally don't have that range. Yeah, that makes right? sense. So they can't control that descent. Um, but I, I want to tell you this little story because you're, you're, you're right about the lens. So uh, a friend of mine is a surefoot practitioner and she teaches children and they ha- come to the barn and they groom their ponies and they ride. And so she noticed that they weren't really paying attention. Mm. So when they came one time, she said, we're going to do surefoot with the ponies. So these are little kids, right? Eight, nine, little kids. And they did surefoot. And the next week that they came, they were so much more observant because surefoot is a lens. It's a, it's a magnifier, right? And when you put a horse on a pad, you can, you'll see muscle twitches, swaying, licking and chewing, eye blinking. And you, and you start to observe. And when I do a session with people around, I, I narrate. I don't, put any value on the narration. I just say, I blink, lick and chew, 
breathing change, muscle twitch, right? I narrate so that I kind of direct them around to the things I observe. And then there's a lot of things I don't observe that like I watched some video of when I put this one Mustang on a pad because I was bending over, I couldn't see how he rounded his back and heaved his rib cage sideways, which I saw in the video afterward. Interesting. Which was really interesting because he had difficulty picking up his feet, right? Um, But these kids, when they came back the next week, she said they were completely different. They were so much more attentive in their grooming and everything because they had taken an opportunity to actually look. And the surefoot pads provide the magnification, if you will, mm-hmm. um, for, for you to see more. And that's what I think of, you know, when I first started, my biggest question was how are people going to see what I see? And the narration was my solution. So, you know, it's, just on, I've done where uh, on the webinars, I'll show a video of a horse on a pad and I'll point out and I'll slow it down or I'll zoom in so you can see, oh, that muscle twitch or that head, you know, that little head twiggle or, um, you know, because there's, there's a lot of subtle things, but it teaches us to see these subtle things. Well, I think your, your narration is perfect because it's neutral. It doesn't say, did you see that? You didn't see that, did you? It'd just be like, oh, nose twitch. It's just neutral. It's just putting the information out there. And that I really like that. So I'm going to I'm going to tell you right now that you have uh, officially joined the Horsewise podcast me. We've been talking over an hour (laughs) and it always goes really fast. Uh, Even the people I've had back on, they're like, we're going to go less than an hour and they never do. So you're officially part of our family now. We're going to have to have you back because I like to keep it about an hour because Oh, I know people are, I know you're busy. You've already done a podcast today, but it just goes to show how, you know, easy you make it to, just to interview you and what you're sharing is so valuable. It's also really fun and interesting for me. If I'm not interested in in learning something, I don't invite you back. So that's kind of the thing, (laughs) but I just, I just really, uh, I enjoyed this so much and I learned so much. I I don't know if you noticed, but I was taking notes a lot. And um, I can't wait to share this with some of my, you know, students and clients and interns, because uh, I I knew something about Surefoot, but I really feel like now I have a better context for it. So I'm really, I'm really just thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Oh, you're welcome. This is really fun. Anytime. Okay, good. We'll we'll definitely have you back. Thank you, Wendy. Thanks. This was such a fun and informative interview that I can't wait to have Wendy back on the podcast. In the meantime, I urge you to check out her Surefoot method as well as her innovative riding instruction techniques at her website, murdochmethod.com. At Horsewise, I teach you the horsemanship habits and tools to guarantee you long-term success with your horse, no matter what your discipline. I'm very excited to announce that as of June 1st, Horsewise will be releasing a new course and coaching package. For more information on that, as well as to receive a copy of our free study guide, please sign up for our email list at horsewisecoach.com slash sign up. As always, thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.